Paracast with your hosts Gene Steinberg and David Pietri. John, when most people are 15 years old, they're playing guitar or they're, you know, playing baseball or looking for girlfriends. Uh, apparently, you decided to start a very interesting and intriguing website. How did that come to pass? Uh, well, I was 15 years old, and um, I, really, I have no more exciting answer than um, it was curiosity. It was driven just by curiosity, and started looking into UFOs on the internet. And you know, you see the same rehash stories all the time. But what was intriguing was when I came across a site on uh, UFO documents. It was a four-page document from the U.S. government, and it talked about how to obtain it under the Freedom of Information Act. And but yeah, I didn't, didn't even know what the Freedom of Information Act was, but it, it said if you wanted this document to print this letter out, put your name on it, and sure enough, you should get the, um, get the document back. So I figured, well, what the heck, what could a stamp hurt? And sure enough, the document was real, and it read like an X-Files episode. So for the government to actually be sending this to me, I just thought it was fascinating. So I went back on the Internet, searched frantically for anything uh, that I could find on it. And uh, there was really no, no government documents on the Internet at this time. This was over a decade ago. So I thought, uh, well, let me just start filing these Freedom of Information Act requests, because if they have this document, they should have more. Well, all right. I'll... What was the document? What did it contain? In ufology, it's been infamously known as the 1976 Iran incident. And um, it's... It was out before. It wasn't the first time that this was declassified. Uh, the, the UFO community had talked about it for many years before I was around. But w the gist of it was is that a craft was seen over Tehran, and uh, multiple eyewitnesses called into the base commander there and, and said, what do you guys have up that's you know not normal? And the, finally, the guy, uh, after saying that he had nothing in the air, which he didn't, goes outside with his binoculars, sees it for himself. He scrambles two separate F-4 Phantom jets. The first one had... Uh, its communications and controls completely shut down. And thinking it was some kind of a plane malfunction, the plane returned to base. That's when the second F-4 went up. And sure enough, it, it was like it became a threat to this object, and it strategically shut down uh, the controls and, and communications from this poor guy's cockpit. So then this, this primary UFO, really like a mothership type of scenario, there's no other way to explain it, had a second UFO come from underneath it and a third UFO come out of the side of it. Uh, one ended up landing on the ground, and it was just, it was a fascinating story. It, it, and I'm trying to paraphrase it for you because it really is an hour show in itself. Uh, but the story kind of ends that the UFO, eventually the two other ones rejoin the primary one and take off. The pilot regains control of his aircraft, uh, lands. They go out the next day to the site where they think the UFO landed, didn't see anything out of the ordinary, but local residents in that particular area did see a bunch of bright flashing lights through their window and heard a bunch of loud noise. So that, in a very small nutshell, is this four-page document that came from the U.S. government. That's really what got me hooked. There's, there's no other way around it. You read something like that, and it came straight from the government. This isn't somebody telling you what they saw, or this isn't written in some book that you have no idea how to verify it. This was the U.S. government telling me. And 
I just thought that was the most fascinating thing because you would think that they would never admit to anything in the sky that they couldn't say was a weather balloon or the planet Venus streaking across the sky or swamp gas or some other lame explanation. I mean, this was a genuine UFO. And that was it. That got me hooked. Those four pages have turned into uh, well over half a million at this point. And um, the Black Vault has become the largest database in the world outside of our friends and the government itself. We're talking on the Paracast with John Greenwald Jr. And he, I guess we'll call him the chief cook and bottle washer. Is that a good phrase? Of the blackvault.com. The proprietor. Okay. I like the chief cook and bottle washer myself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Classic connotations. Now, John, that first document that you requested, normally when we see these documents coming um, out of Freedom of Information requests, they're, for the most part, completely blacked out. So I'm curious how much of that first document that you got had these big black strokes through it. Shockingly, not a line. That was the intriguing thing about this document, is it wasn't blacked out at all. In fact, it wasn't really even classified. Most of them were just restricted, which is the lowest uh, classification there is. So it, it doesn't mean that it would be openly disseminated to the public. There was still kind of a restriction on it. But it was it was weird how it had the lowest restriction on it. The only one I did find that was classified came from the National Security Agency. And this was a report done. The only difference, it was verbatim, word for word, the exact same document. And I believe that one was classified classified secret. The only difference was a one-paragraph opening statement by a United States Air Force pilot. And he said that there's some things that happen in a pilot's career that are just beyond explanation. Mm. Um, and he says that this particular incident, it really is one of those. But it's probably going to be filed away in a drawer and forgotten. And that really is exactly what happened. Now, was it that one paragraph that deemed it more classified than the other document? Who knows? But that was the only visual difference. But like you said, a lot of them are blacked out. Um, so it kind of makes you think, if you could read this four-page document, it reads like an X-Files episode. It's, it's, a, it's an amazing encounter. When you can read that, I always think to myself, what can't you read? If that's not important enough to black out, what is? You know, what, what UFO information are they really hiding? And it could be some, some pretty amazing things. So it's, it's kind of a mixed bag. Sometimes you get these amazing reports with very little to none blacked out. Other times you get pages and pages and pages of completely blacked out material. Well, I was wondering, you know, along those lines, you've been doing this for a while. We wonder if you've noticed over time, as there apparently have been more requests under the Freedom of Information Act for this kind of information, have you been noticing that the documents have been, have been coming more and more edited as time's gone by? I really haven't noticed a difference. Um, when it comes to the UFO topic as a whole, you know, not, that, not to say that I've uncovered every UFO document out there, but I kind of hit a plateau where it was every agency I had sent a request to and, and felt pretty confident that I got all the documents. So it's not like there's a ton of documents newly released on the UFO topic. Um, I haven't really seen that happening. Since uh, the Black Belt doesn't only deal with UFOs, but all sorts of different topics. I, I really haven't seen a difference in the post-9-11 world. You know, it, it's kind of the same the same games all the time with, with just waiting for months or sometimes years for a request to be processed or, um, you know, sometimes the information just, you know, they say it doesn't exist when you know it does. That happened pre-9-11, too, so there's really no difference there. And, in fact, I, I'm, I'm surprised to see that even in this post-9-11 world, a lot of documents still are coming out. You know, they are releasing a lot of uh, pages. They are declassifying, you know, tens of thousands 
thousands of pages that have been transferred over to the National Archives, you know, and, and they have to be processed and, and sifted through. That happened the uh, turn of this year where there was, uh, my gosh, it was hundreds of thousands of pages that were turned over from uh, a bunch of different agencies, and that was because of an order that Clinton signed. So, you know, it, it is, the, the government is open to a point. You know, I'm not trying to defend them in any way because that's not my place. But I think my whole point is that the process really does work, even in the post 9-11 world. I've been able to get documents that are pretty unbelievable pieces of history. And you would think, hmm, maybe I won't be able to access those, but why not try anyway? And sure enough, they came to my mailbox. So I think that's a long-winded way of saying, you do have to play their games that existed long before 9-11. There is a grasp on certain topics um, when it comes to the secrecy world for obvious reasons. So I get it. You know, that I don't want those things. If, if the government or the military thinks that they are important and a threat to our national security, if John Greenwald scans them and puts them online, then by all means, keep them blacked out or keep them classified. Don't even give them to me. That's fine. Of course, that's so, the question there, John, as to whether you think that they have a justification to keep those things secret. And that's also one of the crux issues of the UFO field, that they're keeping too much secret. It's quite possible, but you know what? The, the really cruddy rule of this game, because using the Freedom of Information Act really is kind of a game. The one rule that really sucks is they have the power. They can do whatever they want. If they want to hold those documents, there's not a darn thing I can do about it. There really isn't. I could fight until Kingdom Come and, and get CNN on my side and get my senator on my side and I, you know, I can raise um, high hell if I if I wanted to, but it would never do anything. It wouldn't achieve anything. So that that's the rule that you got to follow. That to a point, regardless of if you want to, you got to trust them. You have to trust the fact that mm. if they are keeping that secrecy lid on, then there's a reason. We have William Burns, the publisher of UFO Magazine, on the line. William, can you give us an offer for our readers about getting the magazine? Yes, I sure can. Here's an offer for your listener. We have a special five-issue introductory offer for first-time subscribers, 1995 for your first five issues. Not available anywhere else, but on the Paracast. So, Bill, how do they place the order? People can place orders by going to www.ufomag.com. They can also place orders over the phone at 1-888-UFO-MAGA. Or they can write to us at Post Office Box 11013, Marina Del Rey, California, 90295. Bill, give us that contact information again. It is UFO Magazine, Post Office Box 11013, Marina Del Rey, California, 90295. Or they can go directly to www.ufomag.com. And they can also call 1-888-UFO-MAGA, and they can subscribe right over the phone with a credit card. Gene and I love to hear from our listeners. If you'd like to share your thoughts with us, send your messages to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to check out our website at theparacast.com, where you can download past episodes of the show for free and visit our dynamic discussion forums. Also, please patronize our sponsors. Tell them that you heard their ads on the Paracast. They'll appreciate it, and we will too. 
You're in the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Bietney, and we introduce to our audience John Greenwald Jr. He runs a website called The Black Vault, and where he's got all sorts of stuff, thousands and thousands and thousands of messages, dwarfs anything we have over at the Paracast. Of course, he's been doing it for 10 years, so give us time. He covers a whole bunch of subjects. It's not just UFOs. And before we go back to UFOs, what other topics do you discuss, have information about at the Black Vault? Uh, well, I, some of the topics include um, nuclear and biological weapons, chemical weapons. Uh, let me see, running off the top of my head. A lot of documents on the JFK assassination. You can find information on cloning. A lot of that stuff is very scientific, but I've received a ton of letters about it, so it's, it's important to some people. Some of the other topics, a lot of World War II history material, spy satellites, psychological operations. Um, I've got the entire collection of mind control documents that were declassified from the CIA. I believe I'm, um, I was one of the first sites to actually carry the entire collection. In fact, I may still be. I'm not real sure. I haven't checked in a couple years, but the CIA declassified everything on MKUltra, and so I've got the whole collection online to download. Wow. I mean, you name it, there's probably something that'll strike your fancy on there. A bunch of New World Order documents, a really cool collection of FBI files from celebrities and uh, government officials. Always, <laughs> always fun to read through some of those. Space material, remote viewing, a uh, lot, lot of uh, documentation from the Cold War era. I mean, I can keep going. All sorts of crazy stuff. Well, let me ask you a question about one of these things, John. Um, mm-hmm. I had looked at a specific document that you have on the UFO section about mm-hmm. um, the FBI looking into MJ-12. And if you download this uh, this PDF file, it's like 25 pages long. What we find in here is, and I want you to clarify this so I I'll make sure that I actually understand what I'm looking at, that the FBI itself determined that the MJ-12 documents were bogus. Is that correct? That is correct. So it would seem that there is a l- there are a lot of people who have built careers on the notion that MJ-12 is a legitimate document. I, I know that there are some contentions about whether or not all of it is potentially fake, whether some of it's been tampered with, but based on what your understanding is, this, this document that I'm looking at about the FBI's examination of MJ-12, we, we have the infamous MJ-12 pages and they have written across them bogus. Mm-hmm. I mean, is that an official FBI designation for something? You know, is that is that the way the FBI would actually mark up a document like this? I, I think what happened, and, and um, this is the best of my knowledge when I've heard this, this story a few years ago, but what happened was when the MJ-12 documents surfaced, it obviously created somewhat of a riff in not only the UFO community, but word traveled to the, you know, the, the, the government intelligence offices also mm-hmm. that these top secret documents detailing UFO or alien material or encounters is being circulated. So I think the FBI was tipped off on this, and they did an investigation to figure out, you know, was this legitimate material that was uh, being considered real and genuine top secret material, was this a security leak and should something be done about it, or were they bogus? After the investigation, the FBI deemed that they were, in fact, bogus, and yes, hand wrote bogus across the pages, simply because I think that if you see a top secret eyes-only document, regardless of what it says, sitting on somebody's desk, 
that's not very good. You're not supposed to keep top secret information lying around because who knows what, who, who knows who's walking around who could lay eyes on that. So I, is it an official designation? I highly doubt it. But I think to cover everybody's behinds over there at the FBI, you write in big black letters bogus over the over the documents. I don't think that there's going to be any misunderstanding. So back to your original comment, though, that people have made careers out of this. You're right. Uh, many people have. I don't know about careers, though. It might be a, a little bit of a stretch of the word, but they, they've made definitely a name for themselves surrounding their research into MJ-12. I personally don't know what to, what to think about MJ-12. I think it's completely ridiculous, um, true or not, that all of these documents are surfacing and you can you know download a bunch of them online um, at the Majestic Documents site. Now, again, I'm not saying that they're all bogus, but it's just kind of ridiculous that all these things are surfacing. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, I, I don't understand that. I, I just don't think that, um, I, I believe that the original pages could have leaked out, but I just don't think that this massive load of MJ-12 documentation, which last I heard the stack stretches about eight inches thick or something to that effect, I just don't buy that. So if anything, it's it's the original documents that, that could be genuine. Whether or not they are or not, I, I have no idea. I mean, there's really no evidence to support either way. Well, the thing that bothered me around the time the MJ-12 documents came out was William Moore, one of the people who was pushing this, also admitted he had done some disinformation <laughs> for the government. So, you know, you look at the theory that if you're a liar over here, you could be a liar in column B, too. So yeah. I've never bought the MJ-12, but there are some researchers who consider it real. So I don't know what to say unless they're just too gullible. David? I'm Leo. I'm the performer. Laugh with me. <laughs> I don't believe MJ-12 is real, but then again, I'm a nuclear physicist. I believe everything, as long as it's nuclear and physical. I'm a Leo, entertainer. <laughs> For the past right. three weeks, David I know. Has, I, I, I have to get off this kick. Let's you have just, to get off the Stanton Friedman kick. Right, yours, right. Right, right over it. Nice beard, Stan. All right, let's get back to the trove of documents on here. John, based on all of the UFO stuff you've been able to get out of the government, here's the big meta question. So what are these guys hiding and why? Why do you think they're hiding this stuff? Well, well to, um, to really deal with the government and the UFO cover-up, I think what you have to do right off the bat is what does the government say publicly? Because that really is the foundation of my research and really should be the foundation of what you start with when you research UFOs in the government. And they simply state that UFOs aren't real. From 1947 to 1969, they did their investigation. It was called Project Blue Book. It started as Sign and Project Sign and Project Grudge, later renamed to Project Blue Book. And from 1947 to 1969, over 12,000 cases, UFO cases, only 701 remained unidentified, and that was simply because of lack of facts. That's it. Boom, bang. That's their explanation. They don't believe in UFOs. They do not support the alien or extraterrestrial theory, and that's it. They released a fact sheet in the 70s, and it's been revised a few times throughout the years, but they still give it out today. Anybody can get it. You can go online, just search the military sites for UFO fact sheet. And it's all about Project Blue Book, the 12,000 sightings, and why 701 remained unidentified. But there's a very interesting line, 
And that really is the cornerstone to my research that says that neither the Air Force nor any other government agency or military is interested in the UFO topic simply because it's not real. Um, and they tell you that if you wanted to, if you're if you're so inclined to report a UFO sighting, go to your local law enforcement because they don't care. So that's the cornerstone of my research because over years I started researching does the government in fact collect and investigate UFO sightings and the answer to that is yes they do collect UFO sightings uh, they do report them and it is specifically through the United States Air Force um, also all commercial airline pilots in addition to all the military pilots also report UFO sightings and it's a very interesting fact because, again, this isn't a real topic, and they're so adamant about blacking out something that's fake and that they have no interest in, and yet on the books to date, they still investigate these UFO sightings. So what I did was I, I researched this manual. It's called Air Force Manual 10-206, and what this particular manual says is the third item on the list is unidentified flying objects on what to report and how to report them. It also says where to send the reports to. So where is, is headquartered at NORAD? So all of these UFO reports, along with other sightings as well, if you see a missile streaking across the sky or an unidentified military aircraft, those are all reported to. But whatever the government deems you a UFO, we don't really know. So these reports are, are funneled to NORAD. So I filed a Freedom of Information Act request to NORAD to try and obtain these documents. And uh, a side comment, you know, the Freedom of Information Act really, you, you, the documents you get do not read like a novel. You've got to really learn how to follow the paper trail and to really file the request to particular offices that pertain to your request because if you send it to the wrong office, they could be in the same darn building. In fact, I think we might be having a small earthquake here in California. Is that what I just heard in the background there? Yeah. Huh. Sorry, guys. If you're looking for a better way to present or collaborate during your conference calls, your solution is simple. Web conferencing with GoToMeeting. During your call, everyone logs on to GoToMeeting.com, and your computer screen shows up on their computer screens. It's like you're all in the same room. GoToMeeting is perfect for sales or product demos, training, or real-time collaboration. Plus, you're not charged per minute like other providers. You can meet as often as you want for as long as you need. With GoToMeeting, you can meet with anyone, anywhere, without leaving your office. You'll not only save time, but money, too. See for yourself. Try GoToMeeting free for 45 days. Just visit GoToMeeting.com forward slash podcast. That's GoToMeeting.com forward slash podcast. Try GoToMeeting today. This is the Paracast with your hosts, Gene Steinberg and David Bietney. You never know what's going to happen next. Ladies and gentlemen of the Paracast, we are hearing a live earthquake. First time on this show, and we're talking to John Greenwald Jr. Hey, John, where are you? Where are you located? I am in uh, I am in Sino, California, Encino, California. It's in the San Fernando Valley, right outside of LA. And uh, it wasn't a big one, but you always, whenever you feel a small one, you always wonder if they're going to get bigger. So I apologize, guys. I lost my train of thought there. No, uh, hey, so I, I actually the having the live earthquake. I'll tell you that just makes our show. <laughs> I 
don't okay. know right. what it makes our show, but it definitely makes our show. Well, well, I, I heard that, that be in stuff. the show description. Yeah, no. a live earthquake. <laughs> yeah, I heard the, the, the knocking stuff in the background. I mean, I've been through a few of those myself, so I know what that's like. Mm, I oh, actually yeah. no had fun. one, believe it or not, I felt an earthquake in South Carolina many years ago. Wow. What Gene's well, not I... mentioning, this was after they had hit the uh, Mexican burrito all-you-can-eat buffet, and then you know, three hours later they were having earthquakes in the hotel room. Oh, yes, you can't forget it. Sorry sorry about that. John Greenwald Jr., by the way, proprietor of theblackfault.com, which is one awesome website with documents and huge message forms and all that. We're talking about getting stuff from the Freedom of Information Act and what you were telling us before we were rudely interrupted by that shaking and sliding and all that stuff, that slip-sliding-away effect that you had. You were telling us about the fact that you have to contact the right office, otherwise you don't get the information you want. It's really compartmentalized to a fair way, Very right? much so, yes. Sure. So definitely make sure you go into the right office if you decide to do that. And the right office for me at this particular request was NORAD because all of these UFO reports were being sent to NORAD. So I filed the request, and the response that I got said that uh, due to the fact that NORAD was a binational command under the authority of not only the U.S. government but also the Canadian government, they are not subject to the Freedom of Information Act. It's one of two places mm. in the government and military that I found that's not subject to the Freedom of Information Act, the other being the White House. So I thought it was very interesting that the one place that I found that these UFO reports are being sent to is not subject to the Freedom of Information Act. And they also said in in good faith they looked for documents relating to my request because, of course, they want to be open with me and found absolutely nothing, which I found very bizarre. So 12 months went by, and I kick myself every time I tell this story because I should have realized it sooner, that they told me the answer to my dilemma in that paragraph that they were also under the control of the Canadian government. So I thought to myself, hmm, I'm wondering if I can access records through the Canadian government instead of going through the U.S. government. Mm. And figured out that they do have an equivalent to our Freedom of Information Act, which over there is called the Access to Information Act. And then um, I called on the telephone because I figured, what did I have to lose? The Department of National Defense in Canada, which is their equivalent to our Department of Defense. And I asked them straight out on the phone. I said, well, I'm a researcher here in in California in the U.S. and was curious if a U.S. citizen can use the Access to Information Act. And the reason I ask that is because the Freedom of Information Act, you could be anywhere in the world, you could be in the middle of Zimbabwe and file a Freedom of Information Act request and the government has to answer to you. Even Iran? (laughs) Sure, (laughs) they can do it too. (laughs) And uh, So that's how they do it. Okay, I'm just wondering. Yep, exactly. That's how they know all of our secrets. That or they log on to the Black Vault. Who knows? But so uh, the guy on the phone, he kind of hummed and hawed and he says, well, I guess if the information has been released before, I don't see why not. And so I told him what I was looking for. I didn't say UFO, however, because these types of reports, they're called service reports, C-I-R-V-I-S. And let me tell you, the government and military is full of acronyms. It's ridiculous. This particular acronym stands for Communication Instructions for Reporting Vital Intelligence Sightings. And so I asked him about this, these service reports. And as I'm, I didn't give him my name, didn't tell him why I was calling up until this point, and I'm halfway through my 
my sentence talking about service reports. And he says, oh, yeah, I have them right here. And I thought to myself, wait a minute, why do you have them right there? I mean, now, remember, I just called a random, not a random number, but a, a random person inside the Department of National Defense. There's a lot of things going on over there. There's a lot of documents strewn around. And yet he's got these service reports on his desk or within arm's reach, wherever he had them. And so I said, excuse me? And he says, oh, I like to keep these things handy. Now, I didn't ask why, because I wanted uh -huh. to get a hold of them. But mm -hmm. they were all on UFOs. And so we uh -huh. started talking, and he said, I, I asked, can I get a copy of them? And he says, ah, sure, you got a visa. And I'm like, oh, God, how many of, you know, he's going to charge me thousands of dollars for tens of thousands of reports. And it, it was $2.40-something, cents, something to that effect. And it was only about 100 pages or so. It was the best 2 dollars and 40 some odd cents I've ever spent, because sure enough, I got them in the mail about two or three weeks later. Now, they weren't earth-shattering material. This wasn't irrefutable proof that aliens were real. But what it really did do was kind of seal up that, that paper trail that proved beyond any shadow of a doubt that the U.S. government was lying. Big shocker, I know. But when you deal with the UFO topic, that was kind of a big... That was a big trophy to get because these documents, all on 100% on UFOs, except except one document was a crop circle report uh, that was that came from the Canadian government. All of these things are at NORAD. They have to be because the law says so. Now, it's not even just the military manuals and publications that say NORAD is the place to go. It's also the commercial airline pilot's place to go. So all of these military and commercial sightings were going into NORAD, and yet signed letter, they say, no, sorry, we got nothing, we got nothing. And, of course, it's that one place that's not subject to the Freedom of Information Act. But Canada sent them to me and uh, scanned them all. They're all online. And, again, you know, it's, it's not that earth-shattering material, but it is that piece of the puzzle that was that anchor that showed the U.S. government and military does, in fact, collect these UFO sightings. They do report them. And they do find them, you know, um, I don't want to say interesting, but important enough to keep on the books. Well, they also lie about having them, which is a really interesting note. And it leads me to ask you a question, John, about the FAA. Now, it was always my understanding that airline pilots, when they do see things, um, that these things were reported to the FAA, and I want to be more specific about this, the November 7th sighting of uh, last year of a UFO over O'Hare Airport in Chicago. Mm -hmm. Now, um, in doing some research on this, it appears that at least one, if not two, United Airlines pilots and a whole handful of United Airlines employees had made reports both to United Airlines and the FAA. Now, are you saying that the FAA is not organization that gets these, that it's NORAD, or does the FAA collect this stuff and pass it on to NORAD, and then tied into all that, is it possible to make freedom of information requests to the FAA? Um, it, it is, but my guess is that it's going to be that information according to the FAA manual, and I just pulled up the number. Please don't think I'm uh, too big of a government geek here telling you the manual numbers, but I uh, pulled up my lecture PowerPoint, and I do show the excerpt from the FAA manual, and it's uh, 7110.10N. It's their flight services manual, and it sure enough talks about a Another military publication that should be in all FAA facilities, which says all of their reports and sightings should be sent to NORAD. So they may either forward it over to NORAD or simply tell you that nothing exists. I did obtain the tower communication 
recordings from the tower that day. And really? in fact, I just just received them a couple weeks ago. And I'm, tr- I mean, who uses cassettes anymore? Uh, I'm embarrassed <laughs> to say I don't even have a cassette player here, so I haven't even heard them yet. But I did uh, did get the audio tapes, and I'm going to be putting those online hopefully soon when I can uh, find somebody to transfer them to a digital format for me. I've I've so, got a very high quality cassette player and a really high quality DA converter. I could do that, and I'll tell you something. I'm dying to hear those transcripts that because i mean that this is something where we had heard that when the sighting was going on that apparently and again this is something we heard we have no verification of this but from what we heard all air traffic was stopped for about 20 minutes while they were watching mm-hmm. this now that's you know obviously big news if you if you're stopping all incoming and outgoing flights of, of o'hare which is a major hub um, mm-hmm. because there's a, a thing hanging over the airport because then later on what happened was when this finally hit the major media at the beginning of the year, and it was getting quite a bit of mainstream media attention, the FAA comes out and says, well, it was nothing. I think they even referred to it as a weather anomaly, Mm -hmm. which was especially interesting given that, you know, from from all appearances and from the amount of information that was generated about that episode, it does indeed appear that something was seen. It appears that um, United Airlines maybe didn't want there being this notion of a UFO sighted over its terminal and this stopping air traffic because they were, they've already they've been on somewhat shaky financial ground and this maybe is not the best kind of public relations for them. But uh, you know, to hear the those tapes, I mean, if indeed there's 20 minutes where air traffic was being suspended, you would certainly expect it to be on those tapes, right? (laughs) Fate Magazine provides true reports of the strange and unknown. Keep up with the latest on angels and miracles, psychic phenomena, ghosts, UFOs, life after death, and much, much more. To receive your free issue of Fate Magazine, call now at one 800 728 2730 or visit their website at www.fatemag.com that's 1-800-728-2730 or www.fatemag.com what are you waiting for your fate awaits you're in the paracast with gene steinberg and david biedney You never know what's going to happen next. You're in the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Bietney. We're having a very fascinating session with John Greenwald Jr., who runs theblackvault.com. Go there and check this out. This site is just awesome. And I don't use the word awesome very often, but I'll say it about this place. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. I may take you up, though, on if you could transfer them. I may FedEx them over there to you. And if you could transfer them to a digital format, I'll get them online. Because I, I do want to get these audio recordings online. I haven't seen them anywhere. And um, w- with the attention that this this sighting is getting, it's really great for the field in many different ways. First off, it's, it's a very fascinating sighting. I mean, look, 
look yeah. at what happened. Like you said, if if it really was shut down for 20 minutes, maybe tower logs would, would show that. So maybe maybe a request to get tower logs from from the airport for that day uh, would also prove you know uh, prove interesting. But the other thing is that attention that not only this sighting got, but now a lot of other sightings. I don't know if you guys have seen that, and I don't know what the exact stats are. I think a lot more UFO stories are appearing in the media. And really, I don't think it has anything to do with, I don't know, maybe like a, a, an openness or a sign of, hey, maybe something's going to happen, maybe somebody's going to come clean. I think it all has to do with money because in the, in the history of chicagotribune.com or ct.com, I think is their domain, in the history of their site, never has a story produced the amount of traffic than that one story that John, I think, it, what is it, John Hilkovich? Make sure I have yeah, that. Yeah, I think that's his name. I think that's his name, John Helkovich. That one story produced more traffic than any other story in the history of that site. And you know, I think other other news outlets are seeing, hmm, this UFO topic really is that traffic getter because traffic equals dollars for these guys. Who cares what stories they're putting on? You know, just put up the UFO information. So I think it's it's very good for the community because we are seeing a lot more of this mainstream media news out, the mainstream media taking the UFO topic at least somewhat seriously to get it on maybe not the front page, but hopefully in the first few. Well, actually I don't know if they really take it seriously because if you watch how they couch it and how they frame it it's usually accompanied by you know winks and grins and you know the ubiquitous references to little green men um you know it's stuff like that even recently the larry king show about the roswell 60th anniversary ended up being sort of a, a joke ultimately it didn't really make any headway in furthering the discussion of this and, and of course that's always the problem about the ufo topic specifically um it actually almost seems like very often other areas of paranormal research and activity get almost more credibility than UFO stuff. I, I mean, for example, if we ever, ever hear about any kind of haunting or ghost uh, experiences in the mainstream media, they don't often accompany it with, you know, Halloween references and spooky music. Where indeed, I mean, the Little Green Men reference is always uh, sort of sort of there in the mainstream media. I think part of the issue, though, is that what really is happening is that more people are coming out and talking about it. There was that one absolute banana head um, governor of Arizona. What's his name again, Gene? Oh, boy. Um, the, the one who was on Larry King. Um, my brain Joe Richardson? Just, no, no, no. Richardson's from New Mexico. Oh, New yeah, Mexico. I'm sorry. Yeah, I don't have his name in front of me. He's I'll, the one that basically... I'll, I'll punch it in later. Let me just... All right. He's the guy... Let me just tell you about the governor of Arizona. He's the guy who was impeached, okay? He was the guy who was impeached in Arizona, thrown out of office, thrown in jail. You know, mm -hmm. you want to talk about something here now. Okay, this is the fact. This is the Fife Symington, by the way. Fife Symington was impeached, thrown in jail on a variety of fraud charges, and then later pardoned by President Clinton before he left office. Mm. And the reason is, apparently, and this has nothing to do with UFOs, Symington saved Clinton's life. He saved Clinton's life. He was going to drown or something. And therefore, Clinton felt that he owed him a debt of gratitude. Huh. The debt of gratitude, of course, is that he gave him a pardon. So he was freed from jail and he runs a cooking school, I think. He's a chef also. He's in charge of the Arizona Culinary Institute or something. That's yeah. right. Fife well, Symington. Okay, Symington. So the reason I bring him up is that when the Phoenix Lights episode, and, and of course, 
the Phoenix Lights episode, not being about the flares seen later in the evening, but the big, huge, monstrous, triangular craft seen a couple of hours earlier. He had, at the time, had made a tremendous amount of fun of that whole sighting, had downplayed it and poo-pooed it, and then years later comes out and says, oh yeah, the big air, the big triangular thing, I saw that. Mm-hmm. Um, and he said it on the Larry King show, and, and I mean, if I were on that show, I would have reached over and grabbed him by his neck. Because, I mean, what he did at the time was to essentially completely mock what quite a few people had reported seeing. And, you know, again, he was sitting on the fact that he had seen the same thing. Uh, So there's this sort of schizophrenic approach about this stuff in the media where, you know, even people who have seen stuff won't come out till years later and admit it. But I think we're at a sort of a crucial historical point here where there are enough sightings around the world. And we have to always remember when we're talking about this, that this is a global phenomenon. And I'm assuming, John, that most of your documents are from the U.S. government, but other governments now are starting to state that they're putting their records out there for people to study. You know, the British government's made a pledge to that. The French government has put all of their stuff online. I know that the Chilean government is trying to do the same thing. There's a big movement in Brazil for the military down there to basically come clean on this. So I think we're at a point in history when perhaps there's a little bit of inertia behind this now. I should say a little bit of momentum behind this, not inertia. Um, That's going to maybe allow the floodgates to open up a little more. I'm curious to know, given that your site has become a clearinghouse for this stuff, have you had reputable or potentially credible people approach you saying, hey, uh, I have these documents, nobody knows about them, I've secreted them out of the government about certain topics, and I'd like to put them on your site. Have you had that happen yet? No. And, you know, I welcome it. I I hope maybe someday it does, and I hope the guy's not a complete, you know, uh, fraud or hoaxer. Right, right. But, you know, that to me really kind of produces the question in my mind, why certain documents pop up with researchers who don't necessarily get that traffic that the black ball gets. The average for the last couple of weeks has been well over 20,000 people every 24 hours. They produce Mm. about 550 to 600,000 hits on the server every 24 hours. So you're blowing up the server. It's yeah, it's a dedicated box. I mean, it's it's incredible the amount of traffic and the numbers that that are generated on this site. Now, no egotism b- behind this. Um, please know that. But I wonder why those leakers that are trying to get that information out, if they really want to disseminate it, that is a medium where you put it on the black vault. I guarantee you're going to have you know, what, 100,000 people see it in seven days, um, if not more, 140,000 in seven days. That's a lot of people. And yet you find it go to a researcher who just travels around and does some small lectures here and there at, to people who really already do believe at some of these conferences. So I kind of find that weird. You know, I, I, I don't understand why in almost 11 years I've never been written by that one government guy who says, hey, I've got, you know, screw MJ. Well, that was bogus. I've got the real thing, and here you go. And that's never happened. So that's why I'm very, very weary about any researcher or investigator who says that they have certain secret sources inside the military or government that's feeding them information or that these certain documents popped up in someone's mailbox. Just very much have my reservations about that. Well, I'll offer an opinion about that potentially. might might have something to do with the fact, and correct me if I'm wrong, have you ever authored a book about these documents? Yes. Oh, you have? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my first book, Beyond UFO Secrecy, came out in, see, I was 18 years old, so that was uh, seven years ago, I guess. Cool. Um, These right. kids yeah. are dangerous, David. These kids are dangerous. You've entered.
entered another dimension. You've entered the Paracast. Let me just tell our listeners, you're in the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Bietney, and we have John Greenwald Jr., who runs theblackvault.com. Go to theblackvault.com. We have it linked also at theparacast.com and in our message forum, so you can go over there. This one huge place. Let me ask you quickly here. Is this also your day job now, or do you have a day job? No, actually, uh, this led me to my day job and my 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 real career, and I say that because that pays my rent, because uh, UFO research and government research uh, definitely does. But I found my way into television production, and um, I've been a producer and supervising producer on many shows for the History Channel and the National Geographic Channel, and got to write a bunch of UFO files, part of their UFO file series, got to write and, and produce many of those and supervise those, which was a fantastic experience, but also do a lot of other television. I just did one for um, National Geographic Channel on Nazis and the occult, so it was still kind of in that bizarre world, but it was about UFOs. Also, have done uh, biblical prophecies, documentaries. That's kind of more of my day job. That pays the bills. And this, uh, the black vault thing, is is really just every other free moment that I could squeeze out of my day, which sometimes is really just a moment. Uh, that's that's what I do. I mean, I love it. It's a hobby. So it's it's a labor of love, and I'll probably continue it till the day I die. I'm sure. But that's uh, that's what I do. Well, that's a real strong synergy there, though. I mean, if you're doing shows about paranormal and sort of bizarre, offbeat topics and you've got this website, they feed one another, obviously. Absolutely, yeah. A lot of my information and documentation on multiple subjects have been seen on the History Channel and TLC and Discovery. And it's just such a great feeling. And, and I learned this when I was 15, when, when I would uh, only serve 200 people a day that would come to the website, which then I thought was huge. People would write to me and just say how fantastic it is to be able to come to a site and really read not what my interpretation was, but the actual evidence and to research themselves. And it was really kind of re- like a, a very powerful research tool. And now it's just become this monster site that I never thought would, you know, grow this big. It's like 40 gigabytes in size, not to get computer techie geek on you. But, I mean, it's, it's just a massive undertaking. But what you get out of it, and not, not me, I meant just the visitors, which, what you get when you go there. There is, um, it's just an experience on so many different levels for so many different types of people. Some are there researching school projects, some are there because the UFO topic is their life, and some are there because they're writing a book on the JFK assassination or some other thing. And and so that to me is just uh, the, the best feeling in the world when I know that I'm helping people and doing that in nonfiction programming when I'm producing a one-hour show or documentary for the History Channel, paranormal or not. Um, even the biblical prophecy show I did was so much fun and, and a bunch of others. It's just an awesome experience to to really kind of put my love for history and facts into television and that's that's really kind of why i fell into into television and why i'm probably not going to ever fall out of it <laughs> let me ask you have you ever had a ufo and or paranormal experience unfortunately no i have never uh, had that type of experience my ufo research is really driven by curiosity and over time it really grew because joking aside i mean stanton friedman really has become a great friend of mine and 
John Schusler and all these really um, fantastic names in the field of ufology have become my personal friends. I really see the value that they've put in so much time. I mean, I, I you know, I put in what over a decade. Big whoop! They, these guys are putting in decades worth of their life into something, and and it's so unbelievable to sit down and talk with these guys and and you know really just kind of get to the root of it. So I'm driven a lot by that. It's just really this personal passion, not because of a, an experience. I had a very cool ghost experience, I will say. I'm not really a ghost researcher, nor do I intend to be, but uh, had a pretty unbelievable experience with my girlfriend in San Diego, which I don't know if you want to veer off topic and go to that but do it let's go go there well it's a very uh it's a very fun and cool story i've got actually photographic proof of what i'm going to tell you so that's always fun and i'll tell you how to get there after i'm done with the story but anyway to make it quick we went my girlfriend and i went down to spend some time in san diego and there's a haunted house down there allegedly called the whaley house it's an old town san diego i've heard of the whaley house oh yeah yeah it's, it's a very cool old house and my sister and i were there one time and one of the only times i've I, I saw my sister turn white because she's the skeptic of all skeptics. She doesn't believe in anything. Alien can slap her in the head and she'll say, yeah, you're not real. Let me tell you why. Yet she turned white and she thought she heard footsteps on the other side of the glass because most of the rooms are glassed off. But anyway, so I took my girlfriend back and she's not a believer either or wasn't, I should say. And uh, so it took talked her into going to the house at about midnight. We went to go get ice cream. There was an ice cream parlor open real late. And so we kind of sat outside the Whaley house, which was closed, but you can see it's a very cool old house. And she swore that there was a ghost opening and shutting the curtain. And I told her it was a draft. And you could see it, but, you know, she thought she saw a figure in there. And I, I thought she was going nuts or trying to fool with me because I would say between the two of us, I'm more of a believer. So we go back the next day at noon. It's not the middle of the night there was no midnight tour and we get a fairly long introduction from the person who's there watching the house and it was so long that it was a little bit like okay let's see the house already because we were there for 25 (laughs) minutes just listening to this person talk and they talk about the different ghosts that are seen there and one of them they they talked about was this yankee jim and they said it's very rare but yankee jim's the prankster and he'll move your keys and he'll you know push things off the shelf and even he's put a red ring around people's necks because he was hung on the property and the the history is is that the the property before it was a house was where they hung people in San Diego. And he was so tall that when they hung him, uh, his feet hit the ground and he strangled to death. So that was the story. So he puts a red ring around her. So anyway, so we're, we're going around the house. And my, my girlfriend is just absolutely spooked. Sabrina is just spooked beyond imagination, which is not like her. So after being in the house for 40 minutes or so, there was one room that I had looked in and then looked at her. And she said, can we go, please? And I said, okay. And no sooner did I turn around to take one glance, no joke, maybe a second and a half, turned around and looked at my girlfriend. And from that point, she had this incredibly bright red ring all the way around her neck. Yet one piece was open that was at the back corner of her neck, like it was where the noose was. And it was the most bizarre thing. And I looked at her and she knew something was wrong. She's like, what, what, what? And I said, go, go get a mirror and look in the mirror. And she went ran downstairs found a mirror looked busted out in tears ran out the door and never looked back and so I snapped a picture on the outside you could see it if you go to the black vault.com um, it's actually the first picture because I do talk about this experience 
a, a couple times if, if ghost stories ever come up, uh, that if you go to the image gallery and then there's a, a album in there for ghost pictures. To end the story, we were walking down the street and I had called my mother to tell her the, the, the story and she thought it was fascinating. My mom loves that kind of stuff. And it's about one o'clock in the afternoon, one thirty at this point, and we come across a really old graveyard down the street and she's still shooken up and it took a little while for the red to go down, but I talked her into going to this graveyard. And for whatever reason, I'm just looking around at the trees and I'm following her and she walks through the gate through, I would say maybe four or five grave sites, walks right up to one. And I wasn't paying attention. She freaks out, hits me in the arm and she's pointing at the gravestone. And I said, what, what? Because it was kind of getting annoying. And I looked down and read it and it was Yankee Jim Robinson. And that was the ghost that they told. (laughs) And no joke. I mean, I'm a total skeptic when it comes to this type of, these types of stories. She had just walked right up to it. No, she's never been there before. It was Yankee Jim Robinson's grave. And of course, that being the ghost that put the red ring around her, her, her neck and I looked at her and I looked at the grave and just smiled what do you do at that point and I said I think you two need some time alone and I walked away and sure enough she I still to this day don't know what she said but I think she uh, took a few minutes and found peace with him because I think he took a liking to her and so anyway that's that's my fun ghost story <laughs> thanks for bearing through it cause a nice ghost a- at least <laughs> This is Tim Beckley, Mr. UFO, reporting for ConspiracyJournal.com. Fascinated by the strange and unknown, things that go bump in the night, UFOs, time travel, Area 51, the Philadelphia Experiment, shady government cover-ups? Don't be left out in the lunar cold. Sign up now for our weekly online newsletter and receive our snail mail catalogs. Go to ConspiracyJournal.com or email Tim Beckley at MrUFO at WebTV.net. It's all out of this world. Steinberg and David Biedney. You never know what's going to happen next. You're in the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Bietney. We're talking to John Greenwald Jr., who runs theblackvault.com, which is a repository of UFO conspiracy and paranormal information. And he just told us about his ghost sighting. Well, I'm looking at the picture right now, and you're telling yep. me this showed up like in a second? Yeah, and this was actually taken about five minutes after. It was much brighter. Um, when In a second, uh, yeah, no joke. I mean, it was, it was no sooner did I turn around to look in a room and turn around to tell her, yeah, let's go, that that showed up. And unfortunately, I, since she was very, very moved by the experience and, and was upset, and she'll kill me when I say that she was crying, that I told everybody listening that she, it wasn't right to, to stick a camera in her face and say, hey, let me take a picture. So this was probably about five minutes, maybe ten outside. And it started to come down. You could see the, the part in her neck started to fade a little bit. So when it all went away, as you can see, she is wearing a necklace. And if there's any skeptic out there that's looking saying oh come on she was just you know playing with her with her neck uh, with her necklace we tried and she tried because she wanted to find an explanation and she was practically cutting a hole in her neck trying to replicate the redness of the necklace and it just wasn't possible there was no way that her chain would produce a red line like that how long did uh, it take to disappear Um, I would say it was on her neck for probably if memory serves me well and I'll have to ask her to verify it probably about a half hour 
Okay. So it wasn't long enough to go, say, to a doctor's office and say, hey, what's this? Yeah, I guess if, if we uh, if we went. But I, it, it was starting to fade, and it was just a pretty bizarre experience, so we didn't really think of uh, you know doing anything about it. And she didn't feel it happening either? Nope, not at all. Had no idea. If I didn't say anything, she would have walked right out and not even huh. seen it. So what's been the response? I noticed you have this uh, the photos up on your site, John. What's been the response of people? Have you gotten emails from other people who might have run into this at the Whaley House? I mean, has there been anybody who's written and said, hey, I know that, that artifact. I have one of those on my neck, too. N- not a whole lot. I mean, as you can see, there's just a couple comments about uh, about the image at the bottom. You can comment on all the image gallery pictures. And so a couple people said how freaky it was and, and so on and so forth. But after I came back, I, I did a radio show. I, I do uh, the Black Vault Radio. You can uh, listen to it online. And it's a cheap plug, by the way. I didn't know if you guys realized no, that's, that. No, it's <laughs> totally cool. But totally no, cool. I, I did a full one-hour show with a, a ghost hunter, Terry French, uh, which is also in the archives. So if anybody who's interested can hear more details and what her interpretation of. And she said that was a fairly rare encounter, at least from what she's seen, to have that interaction. A lot of times you, you, you'll you have maybe a, a cold spot in a room or some of those kind of uh, everyday ghost stories that you'll hear about, but very rarely is there that interaction where that spirit will put something on another human being, and um, that's exactly what happened. So that was really the only feedback I got on it, other than uh, you know letters that say, "Wow, that's that's pretty intense," or "That's that's pretty scary." Uh, that was it. Don't really know, to be honest with you. No idea what to think of it. What's been her thought about this topic after? So I imagine she maybe looks at this with a more open mind now. Absolutely, and I make jokes about it, and and uh, it bothered it bothered her for a long time. The fact that she you know she really had had no idea that that was going to be happening to her, and she was fairly mm-hmm. uh, a skeptic, and then boom, look what happened. So it really did change her views on it, and um, and I could tell when I would kind of poke fun at her a little bit and, and say, you know, Yankee Jim was following her home, you could tell it kind of bothered her. So it really did kind of change her views on it and really kind of made her think a little bit differently on, on certain things, for sure. Does she now take some of the things that you have at theblackfault.com a little bit more seriously because of that? Well, she, she was never the way to, to not take it seriously. Uh, she, she loves what I do, and I wouldn't say she's, she's in the topic like I am or, or really goes on there and researches, but she goes on there and, and she'll read occasionally and see what people are saying, and, and she's, she's real proud of it in that girlfriend way, but, <laughs> but really I don't think she has a, an opinion either way on some of the topics. We'll continue with John Greenwald, Jr., proprietor of the Black Vault on the second part of the Paracast. Welcome back to the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Vietti. We're back with John Greenwald Jr. on the Paracast. He runs the BlackVault.com website, which contains a huge repository of photos and comments and forums on UFOs, conspiracies, etc., etc., etc. Are there things that you just do not believe in terms of paranormal conspiracy theories, UFOs, etc.? Well, when you get deep into the U.S. government and they're being in cahoots with aliens and extraterrestrial races and so on, you 
know, I just don't buy that. Um, I think that that's just getting way too deep into this world, which you you can fall into. You could really get way too into it, and I and I, unfortunately, I think a lot of people do. So when you mm-hmm. when you get that far with the conspiracies, that I don't buy. In more of a debate way, I would say I don't agree with the government coming clean. I know some people are out there pushing for disclosure, and it's all about disclosure, and whether or not the, the government is going to come clean. I don't find that happening either. I don't think they need to, and I don't think that they will. And, uh, of course, that's a show in itself. And Stephen Bassett and I have talked a lot and, and on both my uh, Black Vault radio show, but also just at conferences and, and even on guest panels and stuff. He and I always kind of seem to get on the topic. And we're very good friends, but he, uh, of course, doesn't agree with me in the way I uh, in the way I view if disclosure is going to happen or not. Well, I'm curious about this because this has been part and parcel of the efforts of people going back to the age of Donald Kehoe in the 1950s. He said, the government knows the secret. If they'll just come clean, we will know what's going on with UFOs and we'll be ready for it. Of course, he believed they were spaceships. What's your feeling? I really don't see the government doing that. I don't think they have to. And let's assume for a minute that there is a massive cover-up on the scale that these are extraterrestrial beings in craft flying above our heads, and who knows, maybe they are in cahoots with the government, whatever that may be. I don't see the government ever coming clean and saying the truth, because assuming that there is an extraterrestrial nature to this, why would they ever do that? And I think people like you and I could probably handle that type of disclosure statement just fine. I think a lot of people in the UFO community could handle it just fine. But I think the vast majority of the people out there can't. I just don't think they, they can at all. And and even going back to the War of the Worlds days, look what happened. There's a conspiracy theory that that was a test on whether or not if, if a newscast happened where aliens were really here, how would the public react to it? I'm not necessarily that I buy into that, but it is an interesting theory that, look, look at what the, what the public did. Now, let's go to present day. Who listening heard of Heaven's Gate before Heaven's Gate all off themselves because there was a UFO hiding behind a comet. Not many people raise their hands when I lecture and talk about that. Of this, when I lecture in the audience, not many people raise their hand and say, oh, I knew about Heaven's Gate, although I did have a couple, which was a little bizarre one time, but anyway, different story. And so I, I really think you're going to find tons of these little sects and cults that just come out of the woodwork when a UFO disclosure statement like this really comes out. And those are the people that I don't think can handle it. I think there is something wrong with those who think they should off themselves because, hey, there's a UFO behind a comet. So I I think for those reasons, the government's not going to come clean. And then when you talk about the UFO politics behind all of this, I really don't think the government ever has to consider coming clean. And the reason I say that is really there's a lot of kind of political upheaval in, in in the upper ring of the UFO community and me being just the little peon that I am, you see some of these fights and these arguments where these people who are on the same team, who are working to achieve the same goal, are really just kind of bickering at each other and fighting and arguing and I have the answer and you don't, so buy my book. And then the other guy says, nope, you're wrong. Let me tell you why I wrote a book about it, so these people mm. should buy it. That's what I just don't get. And that's that's the unfortunate side to a field that I love so much. With all this infighting, the government just can sit back, put their feet up, and let the UFO community look like loonies. Because then again, you have that extra element of kind of some of the crazy people that are involved in the field. So 
with all those facts, put them all together, you're going to have a government that doesn't even have to consider coming clean, ever. Well, it seems like, really, that even if they weren't enjoying all of this infighting, they'd have no reason to come clean. And and this is a topic, John, we brought up on the Paracast before, this notion of disclosure, this idea that the government, if they had this, would come clean. I think at this point, it's pretty clear that the government does whatever benefits themselves and their financial benefactors. And that's it. And if it, if it doesn't make sense for those two groups, then there's no way it's going to happen, just like the way that the entire country is run at this point. Things are done to serve those parties that's it as far as the masses are concerned well you know they're the stupid masses and just keep them you know sort of chained to their mortgages to their kids educations to their financial concerns keep them chained to these things and they're not going to have the time or the energy to question these situations or to ask the big questions about what these things are people are just too distracted with survival at this point and you know how much the value of their home has gone up or you know what their property taxes are they don't and i think for the most part diving into the study of these topics is something that a lot of people simply don't have the luxury of because they're they're too distracted otherwise so with that in 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 mind the whole thing about disclosure i think i think you're very right when you say that the government doesn't really have to do much. They they sit back. They let the wackos fight with, you know, the wackos from column A fight with the wackos of column B. Believers and debunkers coming at this from really polarized ends, screaming at each other. And uh, meanwhile, the government pretty much goes on their merry way. And, and, and because of the fact that the media has really sort of marginalized discussion of these topics, you know, people who really have useful information often won't go on the record at all. I wanted to ask you something, David, which raises a question that John would want to get into. Do you think the government even knows anything? Well, based on the kinds of documents that you find and based on the stuff that John's been able to dig up, they know something. I mean, you know, do they know that there are certain... 67 species of aliens and, uh, you know, do they know that they come from this planet or that stellar system? I don't really think they know that. And there is this other issue of deception, um, not deception on the government's part, but deception with regards to even sourcing any of this stuff. You know, if I were a creature coming here from another stellar system, I wouldn't tell the humans where I'm from. I would make some crap up. I'd say, oh, yeah, I come from the the chicken soup planet you know look it's up there humans are we like to think we're very very noble and really highly evolved and highly intelligent but you know uh, i have i have one word uh carrot top oh i'm sorry two words oh one another word gallagher you know we're not we're not that evolved man it's i think that we have a very high view of ourselves and something john that we brought up on the show before as well this idea of disclosure, well, it's real simple. Is disclosure what you think it is? You know, uh, as a Bassett walks around saying, you know, oh, you know, the government has this stuff and they're doing secret projects with the aliens and they're in cahoots and, oh, look, here's a zero energy device. I don't place much in any of that. And I really start to wonder. And a story I was going to bring up before, I didn't have a chance to um, real quickly. I met Stephen Bassett at the Culture of Contact event in New York recently. Uh, he didn't know who I was, but I was in a pizza parlor right down the block from the theater. And uh, he'll deny this, but I saw Steve Bassett order 47 slices of pizza. And he put all of the 47 slices in his mouth at once. His The bottom of his jaw dropped down. He had this weird distended jaw thing. It dropped down at least 
I don't know, 31.3 inches down towards the ground. He shoved all 47 slices. The only reason I know it's 47 is because I quietly counted them from a distance. He shoved all 47 slices of pizza into his mouth. His jaw came right back up as if the pizza were going to slide up towards his brain, except apparently he has some kind of a weird tesseractoid portal at the top of his mouth, and they all were absorbed into his body instantaneously. So, I mean, if Bassett knows something, it's because he's, you know, not human. He's one of them. <laughs> well, I'm not what well, sure what that, they are, but he's definitely not human. Going back to your comment, though, about the evolution, you bring up an interesting point there that I think, you know, if the government really knows something, what is it? I mean, I don't know if, if, if I'm intelligent enough to even try and guess on what they know, but I think when you think about aliens that are traveling across these millions of light years or however they're doing it, even just a few light years, and they get here, I think it's kind of the same way that if us as humans, and, the, and where we are in evolution, if we could go back in time and we could watch the cavemen and we can uh-huh. see how they lived and see how they evolved and see how they communicated and, and how their society was structured if they had one, and, and all these unanswered questions that we really don't ha- have the answer to, if we were able to travel back and see that, would we go down and go, well, hey, Mr. Caveman, we're here watching you and here's why? Well, no, no because no. that kind of rules and defeats the whole purpose of why they're there. I think that's the same thing as what's, what's happening right now. Let's assume that these are alien species and they are in our skies. Why are they here? I think the most obvious reason would be that they are obviously far more evolved and advanced than us. I think that's a given. And the way, if you believe in the Big Bang, the way that works is they could, in essence, be looking back at in time. If they evolved in a very similar way that, that we did and they have a lost written record in their history, what better way to find out about their history than to go to another planet that is 300,000 years, 3 million years, but behind their state of evolution? Uh, I hope that made sense because we got a little tied there, but if they had that 300,000 year, 3 million year head start, by them coming here, they're looking back in time, in essence. Right, right. And so I think that that, that, to me, is the most logical answer to why they're here and why they're not landing on the White House lawn, which so many people use that analogy in. I just don't get that. Well, I also wanted to ask you something else about the time travel thing. We have William Burns, the publisher of UFO Magazine, on the line. William, can you give us an offer for our readers about getting the magazine? Yes, I sure can. Here's an offer for your listener. We have a special five-issue introductory offer for first-time subscribers, 1995 for your first five issues. Not available anywhere else, but on the Paracast. So, Bill, how do they place the order? People can place orders by going to www.ufomag.com. They can also place orders over the phone at one eight 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 ufo maga or they can write to us at Post Office Box 11013, Marina Del Rey, California, 90295. Bill, give us that contact information again. It is UFO Magazine, Post Office Box 11013, Marina Del Rey, California, 90295, or they can go directly to www.ufomag.com, and they can also call 1-888-UFO-MAG. 
M-A-G-A, and they can subscribe right over the phone with a credit card. Gene and I love to hear from our listeners. If you'd like to share your thoughts with us, send your messages to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to check out our website at theparacast.com, where you can download past episodes of the show for free and visit our dynamic discussion forums. Also, please patronize our sponsors. Tell them that you heard their ads on the Paracast. They'll appreciate it, and we will too. You're in the Paracast with Jesus and David You never know what's going to happen next. You're in the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Bietney, John Greenwald of theblackfault.com joining us. And the question I have to ask is simply this, and that is, what if they're from our future? And they have to be real, real careful what they do when they interact with us because they could be changing the past, or maybe it's, you know, a revolving door. You change the past, which changes mm. the future, etc. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very well could be could be true as well. I mean, that's I think that's the fun that's the fun angle of this topic is that there's there's no explanation. There's nothing there's no real answer to this. I think that's why we love it. I think that's why we do radio shows about it. We do television shows about it. And that's why we love talking about it and researching it because nobody really has the answer. And if they lie to you and tell you they have the answer, then they're idiots. Yeah, they could be time travelers from our future. They could be, you know, time travels in a, time travelers in a way by, by traveling over such a long distance, looking back at, at a certain type of evolution that might be similar to theirs. Or we're just an ant on an anthill and, and they're in some other type of plane that we just don't understand yet. I mean, there's so many different different ways to look at it, for sure. I think that third option is most likely what we're going to ultimately, if we're ever going to find out what this is, it's going to be something closer to that. I, you know, like an interdimensional I, thing. Well, yeah, I, I think there's not a lot of proof that these things come from other planets. I think that is a, a cultural projection of ours onto the phenomenon. Um, in some cases, maybe there is some indication of that, but I think for a lot of cases, there isn't. And if you start to really look deeply into this, that actually leads me to another question, John. In, in the documents you've gotten out of the government, because I assume you've looked at most of these things as you've gotten them released, have you ever seen any indication on the government's part that they consider that maybe these things are not extraterrestrial, but something else? Has there, have you ever seen any clue of that in any of the documents you've looked at? In regards to being something else, what do you mean? Just anything else other than something extraterrestrial? No, there's really no evidence that it is evidence of anything. You know, they don't say extraterrestrial, but they also don't say unidentified military aircraft or helicopter or anything. That's the very interesting thing when you look at these documents is they don't give any indication of what it might be. Some of them do say could be believed or or offer some kind of explanation, but most of them don't. And you see these documents, and it's just the reports of whatever these UFOs are, whether it be a light in the sky or a disc in the sky or a cigar-shaped craft in the sky. That's it. They don't say anything else. So that then gives the big fat question mark of, okay, what to the government is an unidentified flying object? Well, obviously, it's not a top-secret military aircraft. Maybe Joe Schmo down the street who sees a UFO, no, that could 
absolutely be maybe the B-2 stealth bomber or some kind of newly uh, developed aircraft that we haven't seen yet. Absolutely. But to the mm-hmm. United States military, rule that out right away. Right. If all of these highly intelligent military officers are seeing space-based objects, whether it be a comet or a asteroid entering our atmosphere or whatever it may be, that's very highly unlikely, especially when you see these objects doing some type of maneuver, pretty much rule out any of that right off the bat. What other explanations could there be for UFOs? You start naming them, you could pretty much rule them out when you look at these government documents. Um, Swamp gas, I mean, that's ridiculous. The planet Venus, also ridiculous. And what else? A balloon? Well, maybe, but going Mach 6, making a right angle turn, and then going speeding off at, you know, Mach 2? I highly doubt it. So what are you left with? There's really nothing you're left with, you know. So being somewhat of an intelligent uh, society, I hope, when you read these things, you really can't come to a definitive conclusion other than the extraterrestrial hypothesis is pretty much the front runner on explaining a lot of these encounters. Maybe, maybe not, because we've talked about other theories. What about other dimensions? And talking about a multidimensional universe, what about time travelers again? What about another race that may coexist with ours on this planet? And Absolutely. Actually, yes. Absolutely. That's an extraterrestrial. That's still talking about something that's an alternative to the extraterrestrial theory. Right. And, and I would only say you're absolutely right. I would say only to counter it that at this point in our evolution and human brain of understanding that that physical means of travel, even though they are achieving near the speed of sound or speed of light travel, you know, assuming all of that, that's still somewhat of a physical means of understanding and travel in the way that they come here. When you get into inner dimensions and so on, you're kind of taking a few steps forward in the way, not to say it's not true, but in the way that we as humans kind of understand science and understand the world today. We don't Uh, understand anything. We understand nothing. Um, The majority of species on the planet have not been cataloged. Uh, E.O. Wilson is on record with that. He's one of the greatest Mm -hmm. biological scientists of our time. You know, he's made the very compelling statement that we have not cataloged most of the life on this planet at this time. We do not know what is at the center of our planet. We have theories about it. We do not understand what is at the bottom of the oceans, in truth. We, We have fairly vague ideas, but you know, recently when it was discovered that a huge part portion of the Earth's crust was missing under the Atlantic Ocean, scientists were baffled by this. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's probably fair to assume that if you have a craft that can move faster than light, that interdimensional travel is something that basically you achieve. So when we think about faster than light speed and we think about using that to travel great distances, in many ways, that shows limitation of our physical understanding of the universe. We do not know what most of the universe is made of. Only recently in in scientific study have we come to the conclusion that there are these things called dark matter and dark energy that seem to make up the bulk of the mass of the universe. We have no idea what the stuff is. So, I mean, I would submit that, and I know this makes me sound like a bit of a an anti-humanist, but ultimately, um, human beings are very high on their their own supply. We like to think we're this definitive statement of what evolution is capable of. But and I did this on a recent show to to paraphrase Bill Hicks: "We're viruses with shoes. We're not that intelligent." I think that ultimately, you know, what we are are children. We like to mm-hmm. think we know everything, you know, but we don't. We resist change. We res- resist growth because. Because that is really ultimately what 
seems to be our default position. You know, we look for a parent figure, a, a higher power, someone who we can essentially think is going to bail us out and who will protect us. Um, these are all the traits of children. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, ultimately, when it comes down to our understanding of what these things are, I don't think we can rule anything out because... How much do we we really understand about life throughout the universe? I mean, my God, it it was only until the last couple of years that you could talk about, you know, before the last couple of years to even discuss planets around other stars. Even in fairly credible scientific circles, you were laughed at. Well, we have no proof of that. Now, not only do we have proof of it, but we're finding that the variety of these planets is quite vast. You know, it appears that certainly the building blocks for life, life as we know it, seem to be abundant in the universe from what, from what we can tell. So ultimately, I don't think you can take anything off the table because in the end, when we say that, you know, what we know about science, I would submit that we know precious little. But you see, our egos never believe that. Hey there, listeners. Have you ever thought about hosting your website? You know where you can actually host your blog or your web page? Well, I'll tell you where to go. Host I can. Host I can. And as a matter of fact, they provide all our hosting too for this site. And guess what? Their price starts at only $7 a month. How could you go wrong? It's reliability and speed speaks for itself. And that's why we're able to provide you with this radio show that you're listening to right now. It's Host I Can. Give them a try. You'll be glad you did. To learn more about Host I Can, go to this website, techbroadcasting.com. That's techbroadcasting.com slash host. Techbroadcasting.com slash host. And you'll learn more about Host I Can. In the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Biedney. You never know what's going to happen next. You're in the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Bietany. John Greenwald Jr. joins us on the Paracast. He has a site called theblackvault.com. And one theory I look at is that every era we believe we know lots of what's going on. Of course, the conspiracy theorists would also say that the reason we suddenly have found all these planets with the possibility of supporting life is that this is part of the government's program to get us used to the concept before they tell us the truth. That's what some of the disclosure people might say. It might just be a natural development of science. I don't know. Yeah, I I think it absolutely is a natural development of science. Yeah, I kind of had a wake-up call to the scientific community because I am by far not a scientist. Uh, But on my plane ride back from Roswell, I just lectured at the 60th over there. I sat next to a young, um, I think she was like a, it was an astrophysicist, but I forget exactly what, what field she was in. But I know she studied the surface of Mars, and she was talking about that that she has proof that there's flowing water on Mars and that the scientific community is really talking about that now and that they're going to be, you know, kind of disclosing more and more data as time goes on. But she asked why I was in New Mexico and I told her and she kind of started laughing and we got into this heated discussion on the plane. It's the first time it's ever happened. I thought it was funny and I was kind of having fun with it and she got all insulted. But she told me that there's no evidence of UFOs and there's no this and there's no that. And, and I looked at her and I was just smiling and I said, well, with all due respect, I said, have you ever bought 
bother to look. Have you ever looked? And she said, well, no. Well, she says, you know, tell me, what is the evidence out there? And then she said something that was so egotistical. That was the wake-up call to me. She says, well, if there was evidence, trust me, I'd hear about it. Like, well, excuse me. Yeah. No, because she, <laughs> she believes that being a scientist, that the scientific community would hear about any credible evidence of a UFO or an alien race or any extraterrestrial presence or so on. And I looked at her. I was like, how egotistical? I just wanted to tell her, like, do you understand that? your head barely fits in this plane and you know she didn't get it so I started talking to her a little bit I said well if you're really curious I'll tell you but if you don't really care don't worry about it she was trying to be nice and she said oh no no, no I'm really interested I really want to hear the evidence and I said okay it's all a part of the field and so you know she asked me about the documents so I told her about the documents she pretty much dismissed all of those I said, all right fine you asked about them then we started talking about the implants and so I told her what I had known because I've known Dr. Lear for many years and Daryl Sims for many years and so I, I, I told her what Dr. Lear said and what Dr. Daryl Sims says. And she said, oh, that's BS, that's BS. And, and I said, looked at her, I was like, wow, I, you know, you're talking to some guy on a plane. Why, why would you say that? And you haven't even looked into it. And she just automatically dismissed it. And then she went back to her original point that if there was any evidence whatsoever that was worthy of it, uh, worthy of a, a scientific scrutiny that she would know about it. And that really is, I think, probably, you know, not to judge the scientific community by that one person, but I think when you really look at a lot of the scientists out there that are confronted by this topic and they just poo-poo it and, and shove it off to the side and, and not even uh, care about it, I, I think that really is the mentality. They just don't yeah. want that That's topic. the way it works, my friend. That's the way it works in every era. The scientific community, at least a lot of them, believe or would rather believe that they know everything there is to be known, that we know everything there is to be known about the universe. But then if we went back even 50 years in time and confronted people 50 years ago with what we know now, they'd think we were mm -hmm. crazy. We were yeah. from other planets. Hmm. Yeah, well, we're children. Yeah. It goes back to that. We're, we're children who, uh, you know, cling to our precious little view based on what we know about the world. And anything that threatens that has to be rejected. I mean, science has one altar. Religion has another altar. There are different ends of the town. And ultimately, I think if we ever get close to a true understanding of the nature of reality, we're going to find that the real deal is somewhere right about smack dab right in the middle between where those two altars are. There is this other place. Quite frankly, it exceeds our ability of understanding because we're restricted by our brains. We're restricted by our egos. We're restricted by our cultural indoctrination. I think that certainly in the Western world, we tend to think that science is this ultimate power and that this science will save us from everything. You know, you talk about global warming and people who are, quote unquote, you know, from the scientific community will say, well, you know what? These things happen. These have been cycles that have happened on the planet before. And if there's a, a real crap storm coming down, well, don't worry. We'll come up with some scientific solution and save the day. We always do. That's the unbridled ego of science that it thinks it can solve everything. And ultimately, you know, what are humans in relation to the Earth? We're termites, basically. Right. You know, we're, we're not a lot more than that. We're and, talking termites. But then well, you have a commercial yeah. now on TV with a talking termite. So I guess what's the difference? Oh, there you go. No, but I mean, ultimately, you know, reality is, I think, beyond our grasp. And what we, we strive to do, of course, as humans, is we try to understand our universe because 
it seems like ultimately, besides survival, that's the thing that really motivates us. Who are we? What are we? Where do we come from? And I think in trying to understand you know, the UFO phenomenon, let's assume we don't know anything about it. The fact that so many people are seeing these things and there are certain characteristics that are consistent with all of the or with many of the sightings. But then again we have, you know, in all of the history of sightings, there is this vast array of different shapes, forms, sizes of vehicles that sort of makes you wonder about are these things basically some manifestation of human desire and fear that an external force is acting on to make into a real thing, but that real thing is then severely influenced by the perception of the person seeing it, and so based on the cultural background and indoctrination and experiences of each individual party, what they see is slightly different. If it's not from another planet, but it manifests itself that way, Boy, that's worth knowing about, too, right? Because that's just really interesting stuff. For 58 years, fate has provided true reports of the strange and unknown. Fate brings you the latest in all aspects of the paranormal, like angels and miracles, psychic phenomena, ghosts, UFOs, and much, much more. To receive your complimentary Fate magazine, call now at 1-800-728-2730 or visit their website at www.fatemag.com. That's 1-800-728-2730 or www.fatemag.com. What are you waiting for? Your fate awaits. You're in the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Biedney. You never know what's going to happen next. You're on the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Bietney, John Greenwald Jr. of TheBlackVault.com, which is linked at our site, too, joins us. First session with him, and a very enjoyable one indeed. Okay, John, what do you think about that? You know, I, I think when, um, go, going back to the scientific community, taking that, that ego angle out of it, because I really do think a lot of a lot of this is, there's kind of an ego wall there, there's an egotistical wall where they just, they think they know all the answers, so they would never ever or, you know, even look into the UFO phenomenon. But in their defense, I think there are scientists that are out there, and I know a couple, you know, personally and also that I've seen written about that really do care about this particular topic. And I think a lot of times it's fear that if they put UFO on their resume Mm -hmm. and they're trying to get funding or grants or so on, if if they're getting grants from these big corporations for, for researching, let's just say, water on Mars, okay, great. Now you're trying to research UFOs or look into extraterrestrial life living on, you know, Jupiter's moon Europa or, or something else that is, is more fringe, they'll never get another grant at all because of the, the funny topics that they're into. So, you know, I think that's a really unfortunate thing in this field is that being involved in UFO research and being a member of the scientific community, they don't mix. You can't be a member of both worlds. And I think that really is kind of an, an unfortunate thing. Well, it's sort of like the problem with people who want to be part of the scientific world but then are also involved in the religious world there's the same kind of an issue where uh you know religion is viewed as being supernatural and science is not and so you know it's it's very hard to live in both worlds um one of my favorite writers it was a french um priest who was also 
very scientifically minded, Pierre, Pierre Teilhard de Chardin. And uh, he ran to a lot of opposition from both sides of the fence, from, you know, the, the religious world really had a big problem with him. He was this religious humanist, which is almost a contradiction in terms, but he really was. Mm-hmm. And, of course, the scientific community looked down on him because he was coming from a religious background. So I think that, you know, we, we have that same problem. And then, of course, in the debate that's come up over the last number of years in the United States, the one of, quote-unquote, intelligent design, you have this tendency towards polarization that if evolution exists well you know then it can't have anything to do with the quote-unquote god spirit because if there is a real quote-unquote god then you don't have evolution and i always thought that's a really interesting statement of human vanity how can you know if you really believe in god how can you presume to know what god's agenda is yeah exactly. I, I think that's very presumptuous and and you know if anything again we keep coming back to this synergy or this um this middle statement of hey maybe evolution is actually a mechanism designed by a creator so that he or she can go and play pool and mm-hmm. let the universe work itself out so that they don't have to do all the hard work i mean if you're designing software your ultimate goal is designed to design software that could design itself then you have a lot less work to do i right. think ultimately if we ever get to an understanding of the universe we're going to we're going to find out is it designed yes was it a single thing that designed it no it was by committee <laughs> was it a, desi- a design that had to be constantly tinkered with by an outside force or would it correct itself mm-hmm. i think it corrects itself and i think that again with that view you've got a place where science and religion can kind of meet somewhere in the middle yeah and, and i have to say that my girlfriend who, who's a brilliant woman um has convinced me to a large degree that this is probably where the real answers lie because i've been fairly anti-religious most of my adult life but i'm starting to realize there are things that science simply at this point in time does not have enough knowledge of to make definitive statements about about many things yeah yeah See, and that's an interesting world to mesh too. Is is not only the scientific and religious, but the religious and the UFO. Then when you just you know take science out of it and put you know the the UFO and extraterrestrial existence into a religious context, and it's so it's so interesting to see how some people react to that. And I went to a uh, I was brought up Lutheran and Christian, but went to a Lutheran uh, Lutheran grade school and then went to a Catholic high school. And it was very interesting because obviously being 15, I was in this I guess. It would be what my sophomore year in high school. Um, I was starting to do television interviews and kind of getting a little bit more well known for doing this UFO type research. And here I was at a Catholic school. Now <laughs> here it is a decade later. I would say it's it's a little different when when you deal with UFOs and Catholicism because of what the Vatican has said in a few statements in the last few years. But then it was like very, what is this kid doing? You know, and it, it was it was kind of like I was I was looked at a little bit differently by some of the teachers there, although some of them very much thought it was very cool, you know, it wasn't really looked well upon. But one report I did, the reason I bring this whole story up, is in a religion class, we had to do a project, it was a team project, on a debated topic. So a lot of people did the death penalty, and a lot of people did abortion, and you kind of set up both sides of the debate and, and do this thing. So if anything could be done and debated in a religious context, they would accept it. So sure enough, I raised my hand and I said, could we do the existence of extraterrestrial phenomena, and and they said, if you could tie in the Bible, sure. So I did a lot of research in high school about UFOs in the Bible, and the the, the kind of references and passages in the Bible, and what connections there were, if any, and it was really interesting. So we set up this whole debate, and of course, I I got nominated to lead 
the darn thing. Just put all the evidence out there on the table, and and we really got we got the highest grade out of the entire school. And she, you really kind of looked looked at it a different way because we pulled these passages out that described like UFOs as they're described today. Just to, they they were written the way they would talk at the time. So it was a flying scroll in the sky. I believe it was the Book of Isaiah that talked about a flying scroll. And of course, when you think of that in today's context, a cigar-shaped UFO, and it's the same darn thing. So it was it was a lot of fun. And, and the reason I bring that up is that was that rare instance where I was able to really have this nice, healthy discussion with the teacher about this topic. And yet, when you look at society today, I just don't think the religious community takes to this topic very well at all. And I always ask the question, why? Because if you do have that higher being, why are we so egotistical to think that we are the only ones in the universe? And hopefully, you know, science, then you bring, then you bring science into it. And I hope science will one day prove, yes, that there is life out there and we're not the only ones. And I think that'll make um, all three communities, UFO, religious, and the scientific, wake up a little bit and hopefully join hands. But that's mm-hmm. just my optimistic way of looking at it. Well, you're looking at what's happening now with all the developments in Australia where we defined all these planets in our galactic neighborhood, quote-unquote, considering that being a neighborhood of 40 or 50 light years away, that there are planets with the potential of harboring life. Certainly, mm-hmm. this is something that we have to accept. And I think organized religion, they sort of accept that too, but then they'll just say we're all God's children, so God created the people on Zeta Reticuli too. You see, that's how mm-hmm. they can get away with it. Well, then we can really throw a monkey wrench into the works here. And yeah, I guess if you look at the Bible really carefully, and you look at things that Jesus said in the Bible, and again, my girlfriend has pointed all this out to me, but she's really fascinated by this topic. And what you come to the conclusion of, if you look at this with an open mind, there's a good possibility, based on what we read in the Bible, that humanity is an engineered species, that humans are indeed engineered um, or have had a hand in their design from another species that has positioned themselves as our gods. And when we talk about children of God, hey, maybe actually what that reference relates to is something very explicit that we are the offspring, the progeny of gods, but these gods are not gods, they're beings. I mean, Certainly, there's been a lot written about this topic, and, you know, it, this notion surfaces and then goes underground again and then surfaces again and goes underground again. But, you know, if one tries to be truly objective and tries to step back and look at all of this with an open mind, it's not that hard to, to draw that conclusion based on what is left in the Bible of the original writings and all of the interpretations that it's gone through. And it always leads me back to wishing that I had a time machine because what I would do is go back to the absolute height of the the era of the library at Alexandria, mm-hmm. have um, a really good translator and some of that really good grape juice, and go in there and... Uh, and try to find the text that a lot of this stuff was based on and try to get to the unadulterated versions because I suspect that if we could do that, what we would find is that the Bible as it currently stands has been whitewashed. It's been edited and it's gone through enough revisions so that the meaning of a lot of what's in there has been distorted. And if yeah. we could get to the original text, we'd find that, hey, you know what? Maybe there is an origin to humanity that is sitting on those pages, but we've lost the ability to recognize what the word 
words really mean? A lot of it is possibly just lost completely, not even just in translation, but just omitted from the Bible. I, I bring that point up because if one of the best and greatest documentaries I ever saw was on the National Geographic channel, um, The Gospel of Judas. And it was, I don't know if you guys saw that, it was a two-hour documentary no. on the lost book of The Gospel of Judas. And, and there's this huge history about where the book was found, and they did this huge restoration on getting the text out of the pages that were just crumbling. It was fascinating to watch, but in the end, it was the gospel according to Judas, and that the brunt of the story was that Judas was not the traitor that we are led to believe. Rather, he was the hero. He was the most trusted disciple, and that Jesus asked him to turn him in, that if he was to be betrayed, he would be betrayed by one of his one of his friends. You know, to me, that's interesting because you don't hear about lost stories like that so you wonder if that type of a story could be lost what else could have been lost you know mm. information that we have never heard of nor would we ever attribute that to a religious connection and yet maybe that was lost or omitted from the bible for many different reasons and it was it was just an interesting look at what we may not know we want to hear from you if you have a comment or question about the podcast Send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our forums where you can talk to fellow listeners and Gene and Data. Just go to theparacast.com and click on the forum links. That's the forum links at theparacast.com. You're in the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Biedney. John Greenwald of theblackvault.com joins us. Now, I did a number of years as a traditional broadcast news person. And the thing I learned then is that, and this is a lesson I've seen over and over again, that two reporters, both equally qualified, both trying to be as fair as they can, will interpret a complicated event in a totally different way. You look at history and you realize this history has gone through many interpretations. We can't always agree what happened happened a week ago. So how are we going to agree what happened 200 years ago? And now if we can't agree what happened 200 years ago, we can't agree on that. What about 2000 years ago? How do we know what happened 2000 years ago? What really happened in those days? And of course, there have been a number of books about the ancient gods being from other planets and chariots of the gods is the least of them i knew a person back in the 1960s the late yona fortner and i know david probably never heard of this guy but he was writing articles in the 1950s called extraterrestrialism as an historical doctrine and he was also an ordained rabbi with more degrees and more abilities than anybody knew about and he was talking about the same theory that the gods of the bible were from outer space space or somewhere, but then we can't figure out what happened last week, so how do we know? Right. That really kind of takes it full circle all the way back to what we were talking about earlier, about if, if you could look back in time, going back to your written history, you know, that, that was lost, and looking, what would you do? And that's just fly in the skies above and watch. And I think that, that, that to me, and I know there's many other possible theories, but that to me, really, I mean, that's the one, you know, that that's the most plausible one, I should say, that they are looking back, they are 
they're learning about a about a time that they don't know about. And I think that our history can show that as a perfect example. We can't agree, not even a week ago, we can't agree about yesterday. You get a couple interpretations about what happened in a certain news event yesterday, and then people start telling other people, and then the story is a completely different story by tomorrow. It's ridiculous. And so, you know, I think I think people really need to look at that and really need to look at the fact that we, uh, we, we don't know about our past. It's very plausible that another civilization evolving very similar, if not the same way we did, doesn't have that written history. How are they going to find it? You look at our technology, how it's advanced in just the last 50 years, but then when you start talking about 500 years and so on, you know, where are we going to be 100 years from now, 1,000 years from now, 100,000 years from now? That's the head start they got. What can they do? What can they achieve? And when we can do it, what are we going to do? Compare the two civilizations, I think we might find more answers than we expect. I think that's a good possibility. I don't think that even the most knowledgeable futurist or scientist could in any way realistically predict where we'd be 500 years from now. I, I don't think it's possible because mm-hmm. you have a situation where the initial conditions of consideration are changing so rapidly. You know, uh, are we going to be creatures that are going to have to adapt to a planet that is going to essentially turn on us? And if we're able to do that, what will that force us to be physically, right? It, it, it's, it's hard to extrapolate. I, I don't know that we really could with any degree of success. Sometimes when I watch TV, I wonder, just talking about the event of the day to even expand my argument, they have no idea what's going on. Mm-hmm. There is a question I want to ask you about the people who are looking at the documents on the Black Vault, John. If you track who's logging on and looking at stuff, do you find that there are a good number of government people who are looking at your site and evaluating the documents that are on there? I do watch stats periodically. You can you can drive yourself insane looking at those big numbers and, and trying to figure uh-huh. out where people are going and why they're going and who are they and where they're coming from. But uh-huh. um, I do watch military and government sites, and I would say that about 1% of my traffic is government and military. It doesn't sound like a lot, but when you talk about numbers as big as you know, 350,000 people in a few weeks, that is a, a big considerable number of government and military people. So then you've got to figure out, okay, well, why would they be here? Maybe it's somebody using a military server that could be curious and coming online, so the number dwindles a little bit. But I think the government and military, at least some of the offices, which I've seen some of the domains for the Pentagon on the, on the web server logs, why are they there? What are they watching? And it kind of, to me, to defend them, I, I think it's good. I like seeing the military and government domains on my log files because it kind of shows me that they're keeping tabs on not only me, but what I put online. They're making sure that I don't inadvertently get something that I'm not supposed to, and here I am disseminating it to 20,000 people a day. I kind of feel safe about that. I, I expected a knock on my door post 9-11 because the government kind of uh, went back and, and took a lot of documents that they had declassified and reclassified them and put them, put them back under classification so they weren't released. And having you know hundreds of thousands of these things, I figured, oh, maybe I do have one of them. And yet that knock on the door never came, nor did I get a phone call. But, you know, it kind of makes me a little bit reassured that they are watching and I'm not going to do something that or put something online that I'm not supposed to. Hey there, listeners. Have you ever thought about posting your website? You know where you can actually host your blog or your Web page? Well, I'll tell you where to go. Host I can't. Host I can. And as a matter of fact, they provide all our hosting too for this site. And guess what? Their price starts at only $7 a month. How could you go wrong? 
It's reliability and speed speaks for itself. And that's why we're able to provide you with this radio show that you're listening to right now. It's Host I Can. Give them a try. You'll be glad you did. To learn more about Host I Can, go to this website, techbroadcasting.com. That's techbroadcasting.com slash host. Techbroadcasting.com slash host. And you'll learn more about Host I Can. You're in the Paracast with James Steinberg and David Bianchi. You never know what's going to happen next. You're in the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Biedney. John Greenwald Jr. joins us from theblackvault.com. Okay, theoretical question here then. If the government comes to you and says, John, you're publishing information on your site that violates government security, national security, whatever, take it down, but don't tell anybody. You can't say to anybody you're taking it down, just do it. What would you say to them? I would absolutely comply. Uh, if you're talking that, that someone tells me and, and kind of proves who they are that I have certain classified information, I would absolutely take it down, and I wouldn't say anything, and that's fine. And then I'd probably have a couple drinks because not only would it scare me, but it would make me realize I was onto something. That aside, if they deem something a threat to national security, I'm, I'm absolutely 100% in compliance to take it down. I, I've always been a very patriotic person in nature. I'm not going after the government trying to air the dirty laundry and, and say, see, look, the government's ridiculous and they shouldn't exist and blow them up. I mean, that, that's all ridiculous. I've actually assisted the FBI in uh, helping them track down somebody who did a terrorist threat on the Black Vault. Go figure that one. It was very scary getting a phone call from the FBI in the middle of the day and saying uh, they needed my help, which was interesting. But I absolutely 100% complied because, the, you know, I, there was a threat on my site. But anyway, you know, again, very patriotic in nature, and, and I'm not trying to attack them in any way. I'm not trying to really show them in a, in a bad light. In fact, on the contrary, I very much try and get people to look at, at the government in a positive way and, and to show, hey, look, the Freedom of Information Act works. It's, it's a good process. Don't just automatically assume that our government sucks and they're not going to give you anything. So long way of saying, you know, I, I really hope that people look at this site. They see the secrets and they see the cruddy things that the government's done in the past, but maybe they, they grow a little bit of respect for the government the same way for many different reasons. I hope. All right. I have a hypothetical situation for you. All right. I love those. I call you up. I get your phone number, send you an email. I can definitively prove to you that I work inside of a black ops operation and uh, we've been reverse engineering alien technology. I have photos, I have documents, I have physical proof and I want to use the black vault to release this. And I can prove to you beyond a shadow of a doubt I am who I am, who I say I am. I have what I claim I have and I need to go public with this because because I'm working in a black ops entity, the spooks are monitoring my phone call to you. The minute I hang up with you, and I've uh, made an arrangement to meet you some public place, to hand off a piece of the Roswell craft, to hand off a tissue specimen of a recovered alien. Now, I hang up with you, and the person who is monitoring my phone call calls you up and says, we want you to meet with this person, we want to be there when it happens, and when it happens, we are going to walk in, we're going to slam cuffs on this person, we're going to take them away, and this person will then be um, eliminated. 
what do you say to the second phone call? You know, that that's getting deep. I you know, I don't think I could answer that without really sitting down and thinking about it. It's a great scenario. I mean, I applaud you for thinking that one up. I don't know. I, I really don't because, you know, it depends on, on the information that really is being conveyed. It, it takes a lot to convince me that you're a member of the Black Ops and you've got something right. to show me. Right. So there's a few hurdles to pass through right off sure. the bat. Assuming all that, I mean, I don't know. Would it really be a threat to national security if, if this information came out? I mean, that's something you'd really have to sit and meditate about, you know, not in the literal sense, but just really contemplate right. on what would be the ramifications of that information coming out. I wish I could give you an answer. I don't think I can. I'm wondering about that because I wonder if that scenario hasn't played out. This particular scenario has been played out in movies, and usually Gene is the one to make the movie references. But there's a, a goofy movie called Dreamscape that came out years ago about this idea that human beings can consciously enter into dreams and manipulate them. And there's this reporter who digs up some really interesting information. He meets with the, one of the two main psychics who's involved with this Dreamscape project. And it turns out there's this whole thing where the equivalent of the head of the Secret Service has figured out that anyway make a long story short the reporter goes to meet with the psychic the psychic watched the reporter get grabbed in a, in a crowd of people and he watches the guy get shot and killed and he figures out that there's this nefarious plan to essentially assassinate the president in this movie and it's going to happen in his dreamscapes nobody will ever know and he sees a guy get killed uh, the reporter who is like one step away from getting the smoking gun you know sort of proof to go public with this has this happened before in our history I think there's a good chance it has. Mm-hmm. Where is the line between patriotism and pragmatism? Mm-hmm. At what point in that scenario, it's all hypothetical, but I can prove I am who I am. I can prove I have this information. It's definitive physical evidence, the thing that is the holy grail, certainly, of the UFO quest. Is there a threat to national security? Well, it depends on whose national security we're talking about. If right. it's the executive branch and their national security, because let's face it, in the current political environment, this is exactly what's going on. The executive branch is claiming protection and executive privilege and they're not willing to say what it is that they're protecting. They're not willing to say why they're invoking this executive privilege. But they are because essentially they're acting as a dictatorial force where I think there's a lot of reason to believe what they're doing is in no way beneficial to the country. I mean, at what point do we then like look at the large scenario and go, hey, what's good for the country appears to not be what's the concern of the political forces. What's good for them and their cronies, that is definitively at the top of their priority list. And at what point do you have to sort of Take the stance of being a journalist or being a disseminator of truth and say, all right, you know what? It benefits that this information come out. At what point will I stop myself from being part of that disclosure, as it were? I think it's an important question to ponder because hopefully, John, maybe one day you'll be confronted with this choice and be confronted Mm -hmm. with this situation. I'd like to think there's a possibility that one day you will get that call. I just submit to you that it might be worth thinking about what you would do. Maybe, Maybe you'd hold the whole balance of the truth in your hand. I, I know I'm throwing this at you in a, almost an unfair way because... And it's almost the end of the show, so this is oh, always certain, no. something to leave you with, John. Ponder your experience on the Powercast. Do you have any new books or things upcoming in the next few months you might want to know about? Well, I am excited to say that my book is being republished and expanded, so there's going to be a second edition coming out. Our target is, in the next eight weeks, it should be completely done. I hope to uh, do it. And, and the book is called... Beyond UFO Secrets. 
see. That will be coming out. The first edition sold out, and you can find some used copies on Amazon or floating around, but um, that's why it's getting republished and, and redone. I am starting to write one more. We're working on a deal on exactly what direction we're going to take it, so that's in the works. So there is something else coming out in the future. I don't know how distant of a future that is. Also, what's getting a lot of press in the UFO community really quick is the Black Vault Encyclopedia Project, right. which is something that I, I hope could kind of revolutionize the way this, this information is disseminated in that it is built on the same engine as Wikipedia, right. so anybody can go online, edit the articles, and, and so on. But the big benefit to this, and I can help anybody doing it if they want to do it, is I can host a virtually unlimited amount of videos and photographs. And I don't compress it like YouTube, where it gets, in essence, taking what's already a blurry video and making it even yeah. worse when they compress it and make it smaller, yeah. and then you're squinting and trying to, and it's ridiculous. The format that I get it in, the state that I get it, is exactly what's going to go online. So I can help anybody set that up. And I'm already hosting over 100 hours worth of content from UFO sightings to declassified military and government footage. So there's a lot of data on there that, to download and, uh, to, and to watch. So I put that out to you guys because the UFO section on the Encyclopedia Project is, is growing by leaps and bounds. And if you go to the blackvault.com, you'll see an encyclopedia link right on the top. If you go in the UFO section, you'll see cases in ufology, and it's organized by location and date. It really is kind of a fascinating section as it keeps growing, and I'm adding more data and photos and videos. Anybody can go on there and just you just click on, let's just say, Albany, New York in October of 02, and you click on that. That, and then, boom, you'll get the artist rendition of the sighting with the actual eyewitness testimony and then screenshots from the video, and then you can download the video. It's just never-ending, and anybody can go on there and, and add their research and investigation and really kind of bring community back to the UFO community. So. Thank you very much. Thanks for joining us on the Powercast. John Greenwald, Jr. of TheBlackVault.com, and we hope to have you on again. Absolutely, anytime. The Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Biedney is a production of Making the Impossible Incorporated. Join us next week for a new adventure in The Paracast.